Welcome. You are listening to the Sioux Falls Startup Stories Podcast. All right. Welcome, everybody, to episode one of season three of the Sioux Falls Startup Stories Podcast. If you haven't done so yet, I really encourage you to go listen to episode zero of season three. This is where I introduce a couple of the guests of season three, and I'm also uh, I also unpack some of what this podcast is all about. It's just a really short intro into this podcast, so I'd love if you would take a moment to check that out. But diving into this week's episode, our season one of or uh, episode one of season three, I'm really excited to announce that Tim. Carls is my guest. Sometimes I say his name wrong. Uh, Tim Carls. If you don't know Tim, but you spent some time in downtown Sioux Falls, you are probably familiar with at least one of the properties that he owns. It's a little building on the corner of 10th and Phillips called Shriver Square. It's the big building actually on the corner of 10th and Phillips that houses uh, the cookie jar is in there. There's a bunch of businesses and lofts upstairs. It is an amazing structure, and it is a cornerstone of downtown Sioux Falls. So Tim actually owns a couple of different businesses. One is called Falls Real Estate, and the other is 605 Sheds. Yes, 605 Sheds. Sheds like the little wooden structures that you put in your backyard to uh, store your lawnmower and your gardening stuff. Very different from real estate, I know. But Tim has such a great outlook on entrepreneurship, and I'm really excited to unpack his story and his journey. But first, we really need to know a little bit about who Tim is and where he comes from. Yeah, so I'm I'm from Millbank, South Dakota, which is two hours north of uh, of Sioux Falls. Uh, I grew up in the small town. Um, it was it was a great great childhood, and uh, after that, went down to Vermilion to school at USD and graduated there. Uh, got my MBA because I wasn't wasn't ready to be done with college. Um, after that, moved straight to Sioux Falls and have been working here ever since. Um, started off as a banker. Uh, my dad's been in banking for now. It's probably been forty years, and. Uh, quickly realized that it wasn't quite for me and kind of got into the entrepreneurial uh, starting a couple businesses and chose real estate and uh, a shed company, ironically enough, which is which is kind of weird. I never saw myself, you know, doing really either of them. But here we are. Yeah. Banker to real estate. I can see those two career paths cross enough that I can see a transition. But banker to shed guy, there's maybe more to that story. But the first part of that journey is Tim's transition from banking to entrepreneurship in general. Um, so when I started at the bank, um, it was Great Western Bank, and they went through this big uh, transition of trying to clean up waste. Um, it was, you know, the Six Sigma and all, all that stuff of, of trying to make people more efficient. And I found that I had a very good and uh, effective way of, of working and, and cutting out a lot of tasks. And basically, when I started there, my uh, my job was to pull reports through a system that was very tedious and uh, it, it just didn't make sense, but it still was an eight hour day and they were very important reports. Um, but I kind of got it to a point focusing on that waste elimination 
to where I saw myself uh, looking at this system and saying, hey, there's got to be a better way. And so I, I contacted our data and analysis people and, and they said, well, we actually have all these numbers and we can set them up for you and you just need to write the code. And, and it's basically just an Excel formula. Um, and <clears throat> you open that up every day and you press enter and your reports are done in three minutes. So I kind of worked myself out of a job and uh, I thought, hey, you know, what am I going to do? And, and still kind of, you know, played along that job. But I found I had a lot more free time and uh, helped out where I could at the bank. But then I also found myself uh, uh, probably at the demise of, of my boss looking at other opportunities um, and quickly found myself looking at real estate quite a bit. Well, after three seasons of asking this question, this is the first time I've heard of an entrepreneur working themselves out of their own job. Tim's ultimate responsibility was to clean up waste at the bank, find more efficiencies within the organization. And ultimately, that led to cleaning up the waste and inefficiencies of his own job, and he worked himself into boredom. It makes sense that an entrepreneurial person would do this, but it's usually not the path that most people in a career would take. They usually like to make sure that their job specifically has the most security possible. It got to the point where it was almost an obsession trying to find a, a real estate deal that, that worked, but uh, a lot of my investors that I work with are very picky. So um, I found myself working at the bank, looking at real estate and kind of finding myself in the middle of uh, a rock and a hard spot because I wasn't getting any real estate deals done but banking still wasn't my passion. Well, in the meantime, um, I grew up in Millbank, as I stated before, and there was a storage head company out there who needed uh, some financial uh, backing, not for their company, but for customers who bought their products. So basically, I became a, a bank for customers that, that wanted to buy a storage shed but couldn't afford the cost up front. Aha, it has been revealed. Banking to sheds. All right, I can see it now. And so I grew that for about two years while working at the bank, while working at and looking at real estate. And it came to a point where it was like, all right, this uh, this this product that I'm doing for the storage shed is is keeping me busy enough um, where I can look at real estate full time. And so, it, you know, one of the best advices that that my dad gave me was, you know, never quit a job to unless you're unless you know what you're doing and you have the financial backing to uh to provide for your family so um i got the the financial the rent to own going um good enough to where you know i could kind of quit the bank and and start real estate full-time so it's a long drag out process but i was patient and and it worked out indeed it worked out really well for tim and that advice from the old man tim's dad that advice to never quit your full-time job without a really solid foundation in financial structure and backing. That really speaks to Tim's character, and you'll see how that comes in as we continue the conversation. So Tim is doing bank financing for shed companies, rent-to-own style business. He basically went from working at a bank to becoming a bank himself. I thought that was interesting. Well, when I when I first started, it was a it went really well. And I actually thought, wow, this is going to be huge. I'm going to go across the country. I'm going to find other shed companies. It's going to be great. Um, and 
quickly found out that there were other people doing it. So I wasn't the only one. Um, I was far behind on technology. Uh, you know, I didn't have the the web portal. People could come and log in all this, all this stuff. And so um, I got humbled very quick. And, but at the same time, I think that my business model is a little bit different than some of the big players out there because I'm more of a uh, Midwest work with people versus, you know, this is the rule. Uh, you're late on your payment. Sorry. You know, it's all said and done. But um, I, I think, you know, we all have dreams, but you, you get humbled very quickly when you hit roadblocks. And so I was patient. Um, I, you know, it took me probably six years before I really started seeing that this thing could take off. And, um, and it, you know, it was through luck and persistence that, that it, it finally kind of happened. And I partnered with uh, uh, a, a guy out in Huron and we started a company called 605 Sheds in which um, it allows me to now not only grow the manufacturing side, but also in parallel to grow the, the financing side with it. So from banker to shed financier to shed manufacturer and shed financier, that's really something. But I love how honest Tim was right from the start where he talks about how quickly he was humbled. It's easy to start a company and think this is going great and it's going to explode and it's going to be huge. But then you find out that it's not exactly that simple. And it seems like on the outside looking in that things were moving really quickly and success was just handed to Tim from the very get-go. But even though financing sheds was going really well, it wasn't exactly enough to keep things going, at least not by itself. It took me uh, one year to quit the banking job, but it took me probably six years to finally expand the, the financing part of it. So I, and, I, and so when I started the, the, the financing job, I literally invested every one of the dollars back into the business. So I had to find something else to do to, to provide for the family, as my, as my dad said. And I got into commercial real estate quickly found out I was too young where none of my my friends or people I knew wanted to either lease, start a business or invest. So I got into residential, um, worked for a great company for two years there and loved it. Uh, got to a point where we finally did find some some large commercial real estate uh, and started a management company and uh, a leasing company, basically managing those assets. Um, and then uh, started my own company called Falls Real Estate and then took on a great team of, you know, we have three residential agents that absolutely kill it. And then um, our, our management of those assets, uh, Shriver Square is one of the largest ones. And then a couple other buildings in Sioux Falls. We, I just, we've just built a great team and it's been, it's been pretty good. Walking away from a stable income and a full-time career, it's not easy on anyone. In fact, it's the singular reason that led me to start this podcast in the first place. So what was it like for Tim to leave that stability of banking and really move into the world of the unknown? It was, you're, you're, you're nervous because you're, you are leaving your full-time job, your two-week paycheck, you know exactly what it's going to be, um, your mortgage is paid for, all this stuff. But I had uh, a you know great mentor in my dad that said, you know, he was the stable guy. And so, and so, like I said, for 40 years. And so 
He provided me some opportunities that allowed me to leave the bank with probably more opportunities than somebody that wouldn't have that mentor would have had. So I had that backing. Um, but at the same time, you know, I had a fiance and it was like, what am I doing? You know, why am I doing this? I'm literally investing all my money into this this side business that I can't afford anything else. So I better go, you know, hustle on the real estate side. And I was, you know, 20, I would have been like 22 or 23 years old when I first started on the residential. And that's back when, you know, you could buy Google clicks for three bucks on the real estate side. So I created a website that was probably the ugliest website that I've ever seen in my wet, my my life. And I, I just started pushing traffic to it on the, the residential side and, and getting cheap clicks. And the conversion rate was actually through this rough. And I was like, holy cow, you know, this is this is easy. And so um, and so it didn't take long before the the residential real estate kicked off. But what people that that get into real estate don't understand is. You know, you quit your job, you go to school, you spend a couple grand getting your license, then you get your first client, takes a couple months to uh, to find a house they like, then they find a house they like, then it takes another couple months to close. So I always tell people, you know, you're going to be eating ramen noodles for six months and, and uh, you better like it because it could be even longer. Whether it's real estate or financing sheds for people or building any company really, eating ramen noodles for the first little while, six months to a year. I think that's pretty common. I hear that quite a bit. It's certainly true for me, and we're a couple years into our business. But Tim had some pretty amazing people to surround him that really helped him on his journey. Very scary transition, but at the same time, the opportunities I had because of, you know, my father and other people probably helped me get through it. So, I would I would recommend anybody else going through that to, to find a mentor before for making that big jump. Well, as Tim mentioned, he had some great resources when he got started mentoring and people helping him with his journey. And that is a great segue for our mid roll ad. If you're listening to this podcast, you've probably heard of Startup Sioux Falls. Startup Sioux Falls is an organization to help entrepreneurs with their startup journey from online resources to a huge Facebook group and tons of content like weekly emails and even this very podcast. Yes, they are a sponsor that makes this podcast possible. So thank you to them. Startup Stories is a place to help nurture and grow anyone who is looking to start a business in this area. You can visit them online at SiouxFalls.eco. That's SiouxFalls.eco. Look at all the resources, including all the seasons of this episode or of this podcast and tons more. All right, let's get back to Tim Carls and his entrepreneurial story. I don't meet a lot of entrepreneurs that have invested themselves into mentoring quite like Tim has. Of course, mentoring is so incredibly valuable. I mean, you don't know what you don't know, right? But then good mentoring can be a really sound voice to help a young guy like Tim succeed, but it can also be really frustrating. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't, I would say, yeah, my dad was a big driver, but it was also just kind of uh, a group of other uh, older individuals that have been through the ringer. And as a 22, 23 year old kid, you're pushing ideas to them every, every two days because Hey, you have the time. 
and B, you want to get, you know, something going. And they would say, no, 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 no. And so here I am looking for this big white elephant commercial real estate deal. And it's like, hey, we can get a five, six percent return on this. And, you know, they sit you down and it's like, well, actually, if you look at the leasing costs, if you look at the fit up costs, if you look at the, you know, paying the management, you're you're really you're really getting two to three percent return. And there's an old saying in real estate, everybody makes money except the investors. And uh, it, it was very hard for me to to say to listen to them say no over and over and over again until we find that one. Yes. This is a pretty familiar story, getting told no, 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 looking for the perfect white elephant deal, and finally getting a yes. One of the best stories about getting told no is from Remedy Brewing, and you can listen to their powerful story about no on the first episode of season two of this podcast. These are impactful stories about entrepreneurship, especially for young people. Getting told no one or two, maybe three times Sometimes that will be the end of the journey for them, but it takes patience and persistence to make it an entrepreneurship. And it also takes risk. And usually that amounts to stress, especially when you're spending other people's money hoping to make a return. You know, there's, there's two, two things that this guy at the bank told me, he, you know, he said, uh, when I go to bed, I want to not worry about the police coming to arrest me and I want to actually fall asleep. And so when I look at a deal, it's, you know, if it's, it's going to be investors money, what, what is going to get me to sleep? Would I, would I want to take a big bet on this real estate deal and probably lose some sleep or would I just want to be a more conservative? And that's how our group has operated. We're just a very conservative group. And, uh, you know, going back on that mentorship thing, saying no a lot has helped, but, uh, the risks are there. I mean, you can't you can't make money or or you know have fun doing it without any risk. So they are there, but you just have to calculate them, like you said, as as much as possible. So has there ever been a time or a moment when you have been investing other people's money and you maybe did lose some sleep? Yeah, yeah, there has been. Um, my very first one, uh, well, actually, it will be my second one it was a slam dunk deal. And I went to a, a builder and, uh, didn't have him sign an NDA. And next day he basically ran with the idea. So that, that kind of sucked. And I had my investors all riled up for it. Um, we've had buildings where, you know, large tenants have, have went, uh, under and we've been working through the liquidity process on that and all, all this stuff. So, um, I wouldn't say I lose sleep specifically because of that, because as you're going into these types of things, you have to realize that's part of the game. But I would say that there's been my, you know, times where my, my mind has raced thinking about what's next, what are we going to do? And, you know, if, if you plan ahead, it usually works out. Well, things can still go very wrong, even when you plan ahead. But it's obvious that Tim takes such a calculated approach to his investing deals that not only is his risk very managed, but he doesn't have to lose sleep at night over where supper is going to come from tomorrow. So as things were taking off for Tim, I wondered, what did success really look like for him? So when I first started, you know, I wanted to be the next uh, big name in, in real estate where everybody said, oh, there's Tim Carls and, you know, he's doing this deal and that deal. And, um, and same with the shed company, it's, you know, you want to grow it into a national thing. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that that's still not part of the, 
plan. Um, I, I just kind of go with the punches as they come. But for me, it's, it's building a team that you love to work with and helping them be successful. And uh, I know some of the times when I go out to eat with lunch uh, with people that aren't associated with my team and they'll say, man, you, you work with some of the best people. And, and for me, it's providing, you know, opportunities for them and allowing not only you to be successful, to, but to bring your friends and your family up with you and, and to be humble while doing it. And, you know, it's okay to be the guy in the corner that nobody really knows about as long as people in your team that are close to your circle know that you truly care for them. And so I would say it's probably my, my success, uh, what I, how I define it has probably changed from a more macro. I want the whole world to think of me as this awesome person to a micro where I just want my family and friends to enjoy the ride as much as I do. Honestly, I don't think I could love Tim's answer about success anymore. Personally, this has been a really big struggle for me. I've always wanted to be known and recognized and as a name in the world of entrepreneurship and business. But there's really so much more to this game, and it seems that Tim has really tapped into that and figured it out. It's really about the team of people that you can be responsible for and help them grow and help them succeed, which brings up the other huge element of being a successful entrepreneur, hiring employees. So uh, my first one was actually my sister, and she uh, she did awesome, but she uh, she's having... Um, kids, she's, you know, she just had a kid. So she went to kind of go play the full-time mom part, which I respect hundred percent. And she's doing an awesome job at that. So I'll actually talk about my second guy, which was my, uh, one of my best friends from high school. And, uh, I remember talking about losing sleep the first day he was supposed to work there. Uh, we got that seven inch rain, like in, it was like that tsunami two years ago, one of our properties just got water flooded. And I said, Brandon, have fun. But, you know, so we were down there and, we literally uh, were up for 24 hours a day uh, for two days and trying to get this thing cleared out, which we did. And he came to me and said, you know, thanks. Thanks. You know, and he's like, that was fun. That was more excitement than I've had in my other jobs. And the risk is if you hire your friend or a family member, are you going to be able to fire them? And I looked at him and said, you know, I, I hope it never gets to that point, which it hasn't in, you know, four years. But uh, I think your biggest risk is, is hiring people that you can fire if they don't do the job, but also being that mentor to them to allow them to, you know, kind of grow with you, as I kind of alluded to earlier. So um, I've hopefully I've given my first hire that that opportunity. And I, I think he's grateful and I'm just as grateful for him. But you know, the risk, the risk is there, especially if you're hiring your friend or, or close family member. Well, as we record this very podcast, my wife and I are actually preparing to hire our first employee for our business right now. And this advice about hiring friends and family has been something that has really stuck with us as we kind of figure out who would be the best person to bring in. And Melissa Johnson from Oh My Cupcakes shared similar advice on season two. Whoever you bring in, do you feel comfortable firing them if they don't meet the expectations of the job? Now, that's some really solid hiring advice. Something else about entrepreneurship that plagues so many of us in business is failure. 
the risk of failure, which we already covered with Tim, but also about moments of failure when things just didn't play out as they expected. You know, I've, I've had failures, plenty of them, um, but they haven't been to the point where it's devastated me. But uh, one of them is, is really just on the manufacturing side and the delivery side is, you know, you think of the storage sheds, you think it's going to be the easiest thing and you're going to build this big fleet of, of delivery trucks and manufacturing and have all these plants and all these things. But the hard thing that, that happens with that is that uh, there is, in moving parts, there's a lot of things that go wrong and things that you can't control. And I guess the hardest thing that I've ever done is when somebody doesn't have ownership of a business, do you trust them with $60,000 worth of machinery or, you know, trust them building a shed for somebody that is going to have it for the rest of their life. And so we've had to make a lot of decisions and let a lot of things go on the manufacturing and the delivery side of of 605 sheds because of, uh, of, I guess, people's inability to be trusted. And so, um, We've we've scaled back, or I have scaled back my delivery thing quite a bit. Um, I got a great guy in Sioux Falls, Chris, uh, that works for me that is now taking over kind of um, the whole Sioux Falls market, and he's one of those guys that you can trust. And so, I guess one of the biggest failures is is me looking to have this big thing, and in, on the delivery side, and realizing it's just not going to happen. And so I've, I've halted ship and we're just kind of playing status quo. And I found the guy that I can trust. And um, I'm just going to let that one kind of play out and uh, let the apples fall where they may, I guess. Failures like this can be sometimes pretty devastating, especially to young or in, inexperienced entrepreneurs. But again, Tim has such a amazing outlook on things that he just doesn't let things like this get to him. Even after hitting some speed bumps, that might ultimately mean it's time to close up shop entirely. Yeah, I think it's the, the biggest one is you, you don't have control. So um, when you're running a business that you don't have control of, you're at the demise of somebody else. And so when I first got into the financing side of, of uh, doing the storage sheds, I didn't own the manufacturing side. And so those guys that I was doing that for could, could quit. and find somebody else to finance the sheds for them. And so we got to that point. And, um, and actually after about five years of doing it, I was prepared to hang up and, and move on. And, um, and through just luck and, and timing, I met uh, my partner out of Huron who, uh, who said, you know, we're basically starting this new endeavor. Um, it's a turnkey operation do you want to do the financing for it? And I said, yes, but I also want to have control. And so um, I think, you know, there was a very big, probably a 95% chance that I thought that that first side business that I started was going to be done. And now it's, it's booming more than ever. And so it's uh, speed bumps can be hard at times, but if you look at them, they can also be opportunities. A 95% chance of shutting down his very first business. That is a big deal. So I asked him to just reflect on that experience of almost shutting down his shed finance endeavor. Yeah, um, it, it made I didn't it made money. And so I looked back and it was like, well, you know, it was a great financial decision. Um, the, the problem is I, I actually really had a passion for it. And so 
it was it was you know almost a a, a chunk that I felt would be missing because you know you, you get to work with these people and help them get a shed and uh, as weird and kind of boring as that sounds it, it became a part of me and so it wasn't more that it was a failure because financially it felt like it would have been a failure because financially it was really good it was more along the lines of how am I going to fill that void that uh, it now you know kept me intellectually involved in a business uh, that I am passionate about and so it it was more along the lines of what what am I going to do now versus you know feeling the failure type thing do you see what I mean about Tim's outlook on things when I first met Tim earlier this summer it was after my season two interview with Trevor Nash Keller the three of us sat down and we had a drink and I listened to them both talk and share about business and life and kids. Both of these guys have a great deal of experience and success, or at least what many people would on the outside looking in call success. But these, these two guys that I shared a drink with, they just really cared about doing what's right and working hard and providing for their family and their team. I just can't say enough about how great of a human and a person that Tim really is. I truly appreciate his time to come into our studio and share about his entrepreneurial story. As we wrap up the first episode of season three, I want to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors, Startup Sioux Falls, and also give a shout out to my wife, Brittany, who lets me invest a what has become a ton of time into this podcast. We are gearing up for Christmas at the retail store, uh, Juniper Apothecary. So if you're a listener of this podcast and you make our way down to our shop on 8th and Railroad, make sure you let Brittany know how much you appreciate the podcast and that you're a listener. I know that she will enjoy hearing that at least someone is paying attention and listening. And next week on the podcast, I will have Karina Keys as my guest. Karina is the founder and the owner of Key Media a local Sioux Falls ad agency. She shares some really powerful stories about family and business and the balance of it all. You're not going to want to miss it. All right, we'll see you guys all next week.